Over the past two weeks, here on the Zed Files, we have been quite comprehensively covering the mysteries surrounding the Greek homework texts. Uncovering where they come from, who wrote them, and why they sound the way they do. Today, we'll be finishing off this saga with theories around where Homer actually fits into this whole picture. But before I do that, let me summarize. Two weeks ago, I introduced you to Homer, and everything we know about him. He lived on Hios, 700 to 800 BCE, had a rock, was maybe blind, was a bard, but by now you've heard that stuff twice, so I'm sure you're tired of it. Two weeks ago, I also had to introduce you to why people even question the validity of Homer actually writing the Iliad or the Odyssey. And this had to do with a few things, but primarily how successfully anachronistic it is. But to explain this, I had to dive into the eras of Greek history, Mycenaean Greece, or the time period in which the Homeric texts take place, and in which the actual historically accurate version of the Trojan War takes place. Second, the Dark Ages, where nothing was written down, so I can't really tell you anything. Then there's Archaic Greece, where they remembered how to write, and when Homer lived. And finally, Classical Greece, the ancient Greece you're familiar with. You might have noticed that Homer and the actual Trojan War exist eras apart. And not just any era, the era where everything was forgotten because nothing was written down. So, the speculation is a result of how unrealistic it was for Homer to write such a shockingly historically accurate account of an event in history that he should not have really known anything about. But then I gave you the reason why. The tradition of storytelling. And, well, bards. Barding? Yeah, who knows. But, yeah. If you were a bard, which Homer was, it meant that it was your job to memorize and recite years, and I mean years, of history or mythology in the form of poetry or prose or often music. These ever-so-important members of society are the reason that Homer, or whoever, would have theoretically been able to write so historically accurately. Because all those little details were preserved in this incredible oral tradition. So it's for this reason that rather than seeing Homer as the creator of the Iliad and the Odyssey, we should see him as an inheritor of it. In last week's episode, I talked at length about what makes barding such a fascinating piece of history, in my eyes and described the findings of a scholar named Milman Perry who studied Yugoslavian bards with the intention of drawing connections between ancient Greek epics. It was through this that he noticed some specific parts of the text that, although maybe not particularly noticeable, are strange and out of place when looking closer, and he deduced that a lot of these things only begin to make sense when you consider them in the context of a tradition of storytelling in the form of long songs. These men would have memorized around 16,000 lines of the story, but obviously, memory isn't always the most reliable, and so they would improvise when they forgot, relying on epithets like Pallas Athena, daughter of Zeus, the goddess whose shield is made of thunder, and the bright-eyed one, in order to always be able to fill the metric requirements of that line, the meter they followed being dactylic hexameter. It was like slotting puzzle pieces where they fit the best. 
And if I remember correctly, that's where I left off, promising that today I would get to the core of this whole series. Why Homer? Why, out of the likely hundreds of thousands of bards throughout Greek history, who all would have been equally close to the texts, why do we attribute it to him? Now, this is where the speculation really begins, but, you know, without further ado, let's finish off this three-week-long... Oh, can I can I call it an epic? It's been said that we should think of Homer more as an it than a he. But that's just one theory in the vast, expansive sea of them. Hello, and welcome to The Zed Files. My name is still Nina, and I am still here to talk about history. Not all history, it's still just the history I want. And today, I want to talk about Homer. Again. Again. No preemptive rambling today, guys. Let's just get this over with. So, let me set the stage. It's 800 BCE, the Greeks are starting to write again, and they realize that this is, like, so much more efficient and a much more reliable way to preserve their history. So they decide to start with one of their most important stories, that of the Trojan War. So did Homer actually write it down? Is his version just the best? Why him? Well, some people would tell you that he was just the best. Whenever whoever recorded it, they just put down Homer's name because he was the most famous. Maybe when it was adopted, people liked his version the most, and so they just decided to use that one? What if it's actually that simple? That's funny. You guys think I would write a three-part series on this if that was the prevalent theory? No. No, the people who will tell you that are idiots because the theory crumbles upon further inspection. In fact, you don't even really need to inspect it much further. You just have to, just have to glance at it. Okay, but let's back up for a second. What I'm about to explain is a pretty niche piece of Greek history, which could be said for this entire three-part series, but this specifically. Now, obviously, based on the fact that Homer lived a very long time ago, we need to understand how lucky we are that we have the full and wholly intact version of both the Iliad and the Odyssey in the original Greek. Seriously, that doesn't really happen often. But the point is, we need to remember that although the Iliad and the Odyssey are without a doubt the most famous of the ancient Greek epics, in ancient Greece, they were not one of a kind, and they were probably not as unique as they are now. The point is, there were a lot of different epics. Epics were how stories were told. It's honestly like if in 1000 years, only the fifth Harry Potter book had survived from our era of history. And so then that was like the only book, and then our ancestors thought the only book we ever wrote was Harry Potter, but the fifth one? So then they thought it just took place in the middle of a story, but was also really long? That just sounds crazy, right? Because it, it is. The Iliad and the Odyssey are the exact same, literally. We seem to think that they're one of a kind because these days they are, when in reality, the Iliad is just one example of an epic about the Trojan War. If when reading it, you found the time span of the story weird, it's because it is but it only is to us because we don't have all the other epics. 
In ancient Greece, there were tons of others that covered the other two sides of the Trojan War. In case you're in the dark right now, the Iliad starts in the middle of the war with a fight between Achilles and Agamemnon. But in ancient Greece, there would have been a whole bunch of other epics that covered the beginning and the lead up to that. What I mean is the kidnapping of Helen would have been an epic, and so would Odysseus's Trojan horse. What has been preserved over time is just a snippet of what would have been available in classical Greece. It's actually really, really sad when you think about all the amazing literature that we can't read. But even considering all of this, there are some things about the Iliad and the Odyssey that are weird even when compared to what we know about their fellow epics. Most glaringly, they are really, really long. The Iliad is about 24 books long, which is just chapters, but they're called books in this case. Most other epics, based on what we know, were only around four to five books long. There's literally one single exception to this rule, and that is, that is seriously a big difference. So we need to ask ourselves, why, don't we? Well, once again, we don't really know. All we have is speculation. But the thing is, we can't know, so speculation's good enough. This is sort of why it's stupid to think that Homer was just the best, and so they copied him, because everything about the Iliad and the Odyssey goes against what we know about their other epic. So there has to be some kind of individual creative license here. Let's talk about that. So this whole time, pretty much this whole three episodes, I've been speaking on how much the bards would have had to memorize, right? I've talked about performing history in the forms of songs, performing the Odyssey in the Iliad rather than reading them. So I assume, because I haven't really specified otherwise, that you'd imagined performing them in one sitting. Like, you know, going to the theater and you just watch some guy speak the Odyssey. But I just want you now to guess how long you think it would have taken to perform these stories. Okay, you have an answer in your mind? If that were the case, it would have taken multiple days to perform them. I don't need to explain why that poses an issue in my investigation, because how can I claim that they were oral performances if they were oral performances that would have taken days, literally? Well, there are some theories. First off, based on what I mentioned about the length of literally every other epic that we sadly aren't able to read, it's safe to assume that they were not typically performing epics at the length of 24 books, which would mean that either the Iliad and the Odyssey are more like compilations of stories, or somebody took some creative liberty. I think that both are true. I can confidently say that most scholars or classicists, the ones who would have extensively researched this subject, would tell you that the Iliad and the Odyssey specifically were originally told as short stories. And if you think about it, it makes so much sense. For example, there's a chapter in the Iliad where Odysseus and the actual icon that is Diomedes go on like a little secret mission night raid thing. And it is so goddamn irrelevant and so out of left field that you cannot help but wonder why it is a whole chapter in a story that we are literally told is about how angry Achilles is. But if you think about it, like back in ancient Greece, when they were performing them, that wasn't in the story about Achilles. That was just its own story. It actually makes a lot of sense. 
And honestly, a story about the Lord of the Warcry and the Son of Laertes sneaking around like ninjas at night is a lot of fun. It just doesn't make any sense in the Iliad. So this could then explain the length of the Homeric texts and how strange they are compared to all other epics. Maybe Homer fits into this because he's the one who had the bright idea to combine them and make them a bigger, longer, epicer, well, epic. Maybe that's it. Is that the answer? We attribute them to Homer, not because he wrote them, he couldn't possibly. Maybe it's because he combined them. He turned them into a novel. He's the name on the dust jacket because he saw the opportunities writing provided and took advantage of the potential for longer stories. Is that it? Maybe it is. For one thing, this theory has a lot more evidence than some. For example, the one that he was just the best. Jesus, idiots. For example, there's a word in ancient Greek, rhapsod, and it translates pretty literally to someone who stitches songs together like a tapestry. Now, this is going to come as a shock to a lot of you, but I, I don't speak ancient Greek. I know. I, crazy, right? But the point is that these translations are not my own, and my pronunciation will be catastrophic. But the word rapto meant so, and adod, adod, uh, meant singer, hence rap, sewed, person who stitches songs together like a tapestry, sewing, singing. Anyway, this means that the idea of taking multiple stories and making them one bigger one was present in ancient Greece. It means that we didn't just make this up. They did, actually. So this must be the answer then. I mean, it certainly answers all the big questions. It explains why we see Homer as the author explains its history of oral tradition. And sure, maybe it's not perfect, but it's pretty close. But there's something else we need to remember. And that's the actual narrative choices that, quote, Homer makes. So because of all this, everything I've said over the past three weeks, you would be led to think that the Iliad and the Odyssey read like history books, right? They come from a tradition of oral storytelling, born from the intention to preserve history. They're really, really accurate, which is one of the main reasons that people question their origin. Come on. They gotta read like a textbook, right? Right? Well, they don't. And that's what I think we need to understand about Homer. His genius, whether or not he wrote or compiled them, is that he turned them into these character-driven stories. And if you don't believe me, look to the famous first line of the Iliad. Rage, goddess. Sing of the rage of Peleus' son, Achilles. Homer tells you himself, in the first line, that this is not a book about the Trojan War. This is not a book about history. This is a book about Achilles. Homer didn't write the story of the Iliad, but he did change the stories to center around character arcs and development as opposed to explaining events and dates. And ask anybody who's read them. They will tell you that this is why they're so good. These stories reflect the flaws and intricacies of human existence. It compares and contrasts Hector, leading the Trojans with chivalry and honor, with Odysseus, who schemes and manipulates. It makes you think about morality. You're forced to wonder why the heroes you're meant to root for seem so much like the villains. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. 
because we don't know, and we never will. But it's most likely that what makes Homer fit into this, what makes us attach his name to it, is that he took a framework already available to him and made it something more. Something that could stand the test of time, and Christ, 3,000 years later have a 16-year-old rant about it. For three weeks. But the thing is that this can't even really be considered the end of the theories, because because we don't know if it's right, and even if we agree that it is, the theories continue because why not keep speculating? I won't get into them all, because I think I've reached the core of what this series was meant to address, but I will explain why theories continued to be prevalent, even if we agree that this is the case. Some scholars will place the construction of the Iliad and the Odyssey some 100 years apart, and as a result, there are people that think the two were composed by completely different authors, citing tonal, structural, and stylistic differences between the two. I would say that it's a lot more likely that Homer just wrote the Odyssey later in his life, and the changes can be chalked up to increased maturity or even just different societal standards that he felt like he needed to comply with. Who knows? But I'm not on board with the different authors' theories. But we can even go deeper. Some people think that the Iliad wasn't just written by Homer, and perhaps small parts, or even larger parts, were written at different times by different authors. This has mostly become a theory based on what we know about when the Iliad was made more accessible to the Greeks. Sort of like, in a way, when it was published, except that's obviously like a modern way to look at it. And I won't get into the reasons why, but most sources point to there being at least a century of time in between the construction of it and the codification of it. So the theory is that during this time, maybe some other Greek scholars or bards decided to add their own little bits and bobs. Or maybe they didn't intentionally do it, but it just sort of happened anyway. You might be thinking it's not too plausible, but if you actually think about it, it's really not that impossible. Like, remember how I used that Harry Potter analogy earlier, where I said, what if all the future generations knew about our writing was from the fifth Harry Potter book? Now, what if at some point they found a piece of fan fiction that someone wrote? They're inclined to assume that the two are part of the same canon. What if that's the case with the Iliad and the Odyssey? How are we supposed to know? People will often cite the scene with Diomedes and Odysseus that I mentioned earlier as an example, because in a book supposedly about Achilles, it is pretty out of place, and there are quite a few other examples when you're looking for them. Okay, I want to let you know that the background noise is my dog eating, and I can't do anything about it, and it's really bothering me. I'm very sorry. I would not have fed my dog right now, but I didn't feed my dog right now. That was someone else, so yeah. Mm, okay. But honestly, researching these theories and writing about them for three weeks forces me to ask myself something. Do I actually care? If I found out that someone else had written a chapter in the Iliad and it wasn't Homer, do I care? Do I want it removed? Does it really bother me if one day I could find out that the person who actually wrote the Homer texts was some guy named Dave? And the answer's pretty clear, right? I don't care at all. Because what I like and what I value about the Iliad and the Odyssey has nothing to do with Homer and everything to do with the stories themselves. They are good stories, beautifully written stories that have been 
appreciated by scholars and peasants alike for years and years and years and years and years. When you're reading them, you're not thinking about Homer. You're thinking about the legacy and the history. Who cares if the Diomedes and Odysseus thing wasn't meant to be in the original story? It's a fun chapter, and at this point, after centuries of people thinking that it is, it is. In my mind, it is. Because some 3,000 years after Homer, quote, wrote them, they've been read and written about and interpreted and translated by so many people throughout history that they belong to all of us as much as they do Homer. They predate the Bible, for God's sake. Who cares who wrote them? When you read them, you think about all the people who read them before you. So yeah, my conclusion to the three-week-long journey is who gives a fuck? I just wasted all your time. You're welcome. But to actually finish this whole thing off, I need to talk about my sources. I'll make this quick because I've already drawn it out for three weeks. The one source I recommend you to read if you're interested in reading more about who Homer is or just the origin of the Odyssey and the Iliad, read this article from the National Geographic where an author is interviewed on his thoughts. It's super interesting and super insightful, but I would recommend this because I found that hearing people talk about their opinions is super cool specifically in this context because everyone has a different one or at least variations of the same one. And this is what I found so unique and special about doing research for this episode because there is no answer, it's speculation. So yeah, read the article and then compare it with what I've said. And this is so pretentious and I feel like I've already come across much more pretentious than I am in the past three weeks. So like, I'm sorry to do this again, but I feel like I have to say it just considering what this episode is about. Read the Iliad and the Odyssey, they're not bad. Thank you so much for listening. If you listen to all three, I love you so much. If you listen to just one, I also love you so much. If you listen to like one minute of one, I also love you so much. In terms of next week's episode, I have exams. So there's a good chance that there won't be an episode because I will be studying. Or I will be telling myself I'm going to be studying. But at the same time, there might be something if I feel like it and if I don't want to study. Okay. Thank you so much for enduring my dog and listening to me talk about Homer. Goodbye.